right, good to see you all here today. God bless you. I know worship went a little long, but I don't care. I really don't. And the reason I don't care is because we're going to have a move of the Spirit of God in this church, so help me God. We are going to see a move of the Spirit of God. You say, well, you're going to drive people away. Well, listen, if you don't want the move of the Spirit of God, maybe you need to find another place. I'm talking about we're going to draw hungry people to this house who are ready. And don't get me wrong, that's not a, that's not a bash on anybody. It's not, there will be no expectation of manifestation in this house. There will be no condemnation because you didn't shake and fall. I'm not putting any pressure on anybody to say you got to shake and fall or else you didn't get the Holy Spirit. I don't believe that garbage. I'm talking about just being hungry for God. Even if nothing happened to you, you were hungry for God. Even if you didn't speak in tongues, are you hungry for God? What I want is for you to be hungry for God. Let God figure out what he's going to do and how he's going to manifest it. You just get hungry for God and stay hungry for God. That's what I want to see. Amen. Now, in the month of August, we're on a series, and the name of the series is A Vision for Spirit Fullness. What I'm trying to provide in the month of August is a holistic vision for spirit fullness. What does it look like to be filled with the Holy Spirit? What does it look like to be filled with the Holy Spirit? And this series is the third component of our spiritual one thing. In the month of June, we talked about individual spirituality. In the month of July, we talked about corporate spirituality. And now in the month of August, we are developing a vision for spirit fullness, a holistic vision for spirit fullness. And what I want to propose to you today is that there are three components to a holistic vision for spirit fullness. And the great temptation as believers in Jesus Christ and as a local church is to focus on one component and neglect the other components. And if you look at the differences between the Christian denominations, what you see is an overemphasis upon one component over another. The first component of spirit fullness is what I call ecstasy. And when I'm talking about ecstasy, I'm talking about the experiential awareness of the presence of God. Ecstasy is an intense feeling of rapturous delight. That's what ecstasy is. And I know the first thing you think of when I say ecstasy is the drug. And some of you are smiling because you've done it. You know, somebody said, man, I used to get high. And then when, I, I began to, when the Holy Spirit began to come on me, I began to feel like I used to feel when I got high. As if the Holy Spirit is like drugs. Somebody used to see people, somebody told my dad one time, you know, you look just like your son, Benjamin. And he said, no, 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 no. My son, Benjamin looks just like me. Don't get it twisted. Why? Because he was looking like that before I was born. Somebody says, man, the Holy Spirit is just like drugs. Uh, 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 drugs is just like the Holy Spirit. Meaning they created drugs to try to hijack what the Holy Spirit does. Drugs is an imitation of the Holy Spirit. That's all it is. It's imitation Holy Spirit. The only difference is the Holy Spirit abides with you forever, but drugs wear off. And you'll spend the rest of your life trying to get a stronger hit and a stronger hit. And at the end of the, li- at the, end of the line, instead of getting a stronger hit, you're going to hit rock bottom and it's going to destroy your life. But in his presence, there's fullness of joy. And at his right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. Amen. I'm fired up. So the ecstasy of the Spirit, the experiential awareness of the power of God. We just saw it break out during worship here. There are individuals getting slain in the Spirit here, being overwhelmed with the power of God. That's ecstasy. That is the experiential awareness, and it is extremely important to me. And the reason it's extremely important to me is because it changed my life when I was a little boy. If you ask me, how did I make it through those high school years when I was surrounded by temptations growing up in East Oakland? All of my friends were smoking weed, getting drunk, and having sex. And I was able to stay clean from all of it. Why? Because I had been blasted by the power of the Holy Spirit at an early age. And I learned at an early age that that stuff does not satisfy. This stuff satisfies. And so I learned when I was hungry to run into the presence of God and let him fill me up. So the ecstasy of the Spirit is important. But one of the problems we see in the body of Christ is that people don't know how to act when they get up off the floor. Because you can't live in the ecstasy of the Spirit 24-7, 365. You cannot speak in tongues all day and all night and all day. If you did live in the ecstasy of the Spirit 24-7, 365, you couldn't have any relationships with anybody. Nobody would want to be around you. You ever been around one of them people? Drive me crazy. I think the only way to be in the Spirit is to manifest. Don't be manifesting in the grocery store. Oh, Lord. Oh, Lord. What is it? It's Jesus. (laughs) 
Don't be speaking in tongues to the store clerk. Right. Will this complete your order? Oh, hallelujah. I just got the Holy Ghost. She don't care if you got the Holy Ghost. Get the Holy Ghost at home. There's a proper time and place. And that doesn't mean that you shut down the move of the Spirit of God if he moves in your life. God can move on you anywhere. But you also got to know how to act when he moves on you. Because some people receive the Spirit and then start acting up in the flesh. But when you leave the ecstasy, when the ecstasy of the Spirit lifts, the Spirit doesn't lift. See, this is the thing you need to understand. I hear people say, Oh, man, I just had a power encounter with the Spirit, but then the Spirit lifted off of me. No, he didn't. The manifestation lifted. The Spirit remained. There's a distinction between the manifestation of the Spirit and the presence of the Spirit because the Spirit is present even when he's not manifest. And so when you are experiencing the Spirit, when you are overwhelmed by the power of the Spirit, that's called the ecstasy of the Spirit. But when the ecstasy of the Spirit lifts, when the experience of the Spirit lifts, now you got to start walking in the Spirit. Walking in the Spirit is not about experience. It's about ethics. It's about knowing how to live outside of the manifest presence of the Spirit. Knowing how to depend upon the indwelling of the Spirit during seasons when you don't feel His presence. That is called the ethics of the Spirit. And Paul talks about the ethics of the Spirit as the fruit of the Spirit. And it is not speaking in tongues and prophesying. It is love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness, and the ability to control yourself. And the second component that I call the ethics of the Spirit is what I'm focusing on in today's message. And I want to look at a, an episode in the life of Jesus in which we see all three components First is the, is the ecstasy of the Spirit. Second is the ethics of the Spirit. And the third component, which we're going to focus on next Sunday, is the energy of the Spirit, which is the outworking of the power of God through you. All three of these components come into play in one episode of the life of Jesus. Now, you turn in your Bible. Well, you don't have to turn there. I'll just tell you what it says. At the end of Luke chapter 3, Jesus is baptized by John the Baptist in the Jordan. By the way, he was not a denominational Baptist. Anyway. Hallelujah. <laughs> How come on somebody? Not that not that it's bad to be Baptist. Some of y'all were Baptist. I mean, that's fine. I love the Baptists. But just so you know, he could have been John the Pentecostal. He could have been John the Presbyterian. Anyway, John baptizes Jesus in the Jordan River. And when Jesus comes up out of the water, the heavens are torn open. The Spirit of God descends upon him in bodily form. You want to talk about an overwhelming encounter with the Holy Spirit? When he comes in the form of a dove and rests on your shoulder? Oh, snap. Can you imagine what Jesus must have felt? Man, you want to talk about getting slain in the Spirit? I would have went back down under the water. Oh, Lord. And then the Father speaks from heaven. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. I mean, the heavens open and everybody heard it. Can you imagine God? Spe- it's one thing when God speaks to your heart. Oh, I felt the Lord speaking to my heart. And what did he say? Oh, he said that this is a season in which, and you see people reaching for words. He said that he's going to um, bless me with, you know, you're reaching for, because you're trying, you know, you felt something happen in your heart and you knew God was saying something to you, but you're reaching for the words to articulate it. But imagine if God spoke to you so loudly and so clearly that even the person next to you heard it. That the whole, you wouldn't be guessing what he said. You turn and say, God just spoke to me. Everybody say, I know. We heard it. It was, he said it on the microphone. This is my beloved son. If you want to talk about an experience, that's it. I mean, that was an experience of, that was the experience of experiences. You want to talk about the ecstasy of the Holy Spirit. Drugs didn't have nothing on that. But he comes out of the Jordan River. Luke chapter 4 verse 1 says that after he left the Jordan, he was immediately driven, listen, by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. The Spirit led him there, meaning he was still in the Spirit when he went to the desert. But the man 
manifestation was over, but he was still in the spirit. Don't think because the manifestation ends, you're not in the spirit anymore. You're still in the spirit. He's driven into the wilderness into the time of testing. And let me tell you what a wilderness period is defined by. You are in the wilderness when you are separated from the manifest presence of God. That is, you are not what it is. It is a time in which you do not feel the experiential awareness of the presence of God. Meaning, you don't get goose bumply bubblies every time you pray. All right. Remember when you first had that experiential encounter with God? And every time you open up your Bible, you got goosebumps. Ooh. Somebody would say, I love you. You just start crying. Oh, hallelujah. Thank you. And you needed something from God, you would just close your eyes and open the Bible, and there would be the verse. It would speak exactly to your situation. You remember that? You thought that was going to last for the rest of your life. It lasted for like two weeks. What happens next? The wilderness. It happened for Jesus. You're no better. You're not special. Even Jesus was driven into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights, and he ate no food and drank no water. Children, do not try this at home. <laughs> Somebody say, I'm going on a total fast for 40 days, 40 nights, no water, no food. Yeah, don't do it. Don't do it. Only two people in history did it, Jesus and Moses, and you're not either of them. <laughs> Drink water at least. But if you have been on a long fast, what you notice about a long fast is that the hunger pains go away at a certain point. When you're drinking only water, the first four days is hell. You got headaches, you're feeling weak. Oh, you, sometimes you feel like you're about to start hallucinating. You're mad at everybody. You're irritable. You're snapping at people. You feel like you're in the flesh. And you feel like this fast isn't doing anything. Actually, what's happening is your system is being purged of all of these impurities that have been all caked up in your system and your body's purging itself and all of this stuff's coming out. You're detoxing. But at a certain point, your strength returns and your hunger pains leave. By the time you get to about day 12 of a water fast, you feel like you can fast for the rest of your life. You feel like you can fast indefinitely. Now, this all depends upon how much insulation you have. (laughs) My wife wouldn't make it 12 days. I don't let her fast more than a day at a time. You fast one meal. That's all you can do. <clears throat> but I can go on a long fast. Woo! I've been storing up for the day of trouble. <laughs> go to the ant, thou sluggard. <laughs> Consider her ways and be wise. I store up for the winter, I tell you. <laughs> I haven't met a winner yet that could take me out. <laughs> I'm a beast. And so once the hunger pains leave, your strength returns, your mind clears, you feel like you can go like this indefinitely. But sometime between day 21 and day 40, a couple of things happen. The first thing that happens is the hunger pains return. And the second thing that happens is you begin to feel despair. Like literally you begin to feel like you can never eat again. You begin to fear that you're going to die. It is the most physically vulnerable moment of your entire life. You just feel like you've lost everything. Like, I mean, you, you, you go into this pit where you just physically, you feel like, even if I tried to eat right now, I couldn't. Like, you just feel like you're going to die. Okay? At that vulnerable moment, Jesus knew that he would come to that moment, and he knew that was the moment the devil was coming to tempt him. Yeah. Satan does not fight a fair fight. He doesn't come to tempt you on the first day of a fast. He comes on the 41st day. He waits until you are in your most vulnerable moment. He knows when to come. That's why you're in church and you think, I got so much freedom from the devil. He's not attacking me. I got the Holy Ghost. And you just feel the Spirit of God all over you. And the devil's just going, just wait, just wait, just wait. This ain't the time. Oh, no, not now. Oh, he's strong right now. He waits till three hours after the service at that moment when your wife said that thing that pushes your button. At the same moment that a car cuts you off on the freeway and then the devil looks at all his demons and says, now go get him. Go get him right now. He's vulnerable right now. He gets you at your most vulnerable place. And so Jesus knew, you know, I feel strong right now. 
But because I feel strong right now, I'm not going to make the mistake of relaxing in the midst of my strength. Instead, I'm going to prepare for my moment of weakness because the devil's not coming now, but I know he's coming soon. And so when he comes, I'm going to be ready. And so what did Jesus do during those 40 days to prepare himself for that encounter with the devil? You know what he did? I'll tell you what he did. He meditated on scripture. He meditated on scripture. I know it for a fact. I even know what scriptures he meditated on. He meditated on Deuteronomy chapter 8 verse 2. Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 13. And Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 16. I know. I was there. I asked him. Okay. Maybe I didn't ask him. Maybe I, don't, I was not there. But let me explain to you why he was meditating on the book of Deuteronomy. How long was Jesus in the wilderness? 40 days and 40 nights. How long were the Israelites in the wilderness? 40 years. They were supposed to be there 40 days. But because of their unbelief, because they messed up, they were there 40 years. Jesus walking down the desert going, I ain't going to be here no 40 years. I ain't going out like that. Mm-mm, I ain't going out. So I need to figure out where they messed up so that I don't mess up at the place where they messed up. I need to figure out where they failed so that I can succeed. And so he said, what, where, well, let me see. What passage of scripture can I meditate on to figure out where they messed up so that I'm ready not to mess up at the place where they messed up? Right. Let me tell you something. Learning from your mistakes is good, but learning from somebody else's mistakes is better. And so he meditated on the book of Deuteronomy. Now, let me tell you why the book of Deuteronomy is so important. It is the 39th year of their 40-year wanderings. And Moses is preaching his last series of sermons. This is if I had one year left with you before I died. And I knew that after I died, all of the promises that God has given us, you're going to walk into them. The new building and the multiple uh, campuses and the thousands upon thousands and, and all of the things, the breakout of finances and, and private jets and all of these things that God has promised us. If I knew that one year from today, I'm going to be dead and God's going to release the promise and you're going to walk into it, I would spend this year getting you ready yes. to walk into that promise. Amen. Yes. Moses knew one year from today, I'm dead, but they're going into the promised land. And so he preaches this series of sermons to get them ready. And there's two points, only two points to the book of Deuteronomy. First point, number one, remember. All the way through the book of Deuteronomy, he's going, remember. Remember what you did? Remember what God did when you did what you did? Remember what God said? Remember what he promised he's going to do if you do that? Remember what he promised he's going to do if you do that? Remember this, remember this, remember that, remember. And he starts naming. He reminds them of the whole 40 years. Remember, don't forget. And second message, be careful. Be careful. Be careful that when you go into the promised land, you don't forget the Lord your God and think you got yourself there. Be careful that when you get there and he gives you new buildings and he gives you all this money and, and all of these people are coming in that you, that you had 10 years where you were just a little tiny church and you couldn't do nothing. And so don't think that when you get there that you just think you're the most awesome church in the world and every other church is, doesn't equal, is not as good as your church because it just got, because your church is awesome. Like remember that it wasn't your power, that it wasn't your righteousness, that it wasn't your holiness. Remember the Lord your God when you get into the promised land. Remember and be careful. Remember and be careful. And this is what Jesus is meditating on for 40 days. And it says, after 40 days, he was hungry. I would have been hungry after 40 minutes. (laughs) But when it says after 40 days, he was hungry, it means the hunger pains returned. It means his body just went into starvation. It meant all of his fat cells had been depleted, and now the body is eating living cells. It means he is officially dying. It means the fast has to end. It means I can't take no more. Some of you have come to that place and say, God, I can't take no more. I can't take no more. I can't handle this anymore. I have endured and endured and endured, but now I've come to the end of my rope. I can't take it anymore. God, you got to do something. you got to do something now. He came to that place. He came to that place. 
And at that moment, when he was in that place of despair, of exhaustion, of starvation, separated from the manifestation of the promises, not in the wilderness getting prophetic words. He wasn't in the wilderness getting parking lot prophecy. You know what parking lot prophecy is? Somebody stops you in the parking lot. Brother, I got a word for you. Bathroom prophecy. Somebody in the stall next to you being moved in their spirit. The Lord just spoke to me for you. He wasn't getting any prophetic words in the wilderness. You know what he had in the wilderness? He had scripture. He had what was written. He was meditating on the word of God day and night. He was focusing his mind so that in the moment of temptation, his heart would not give in. Do you realize that there's a difference between wickedness and unrighteousness? Mm -hmm. Wickedness has to do with your actions. Unrighteousness has to do with your thinking. Isaiah 55, 9. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked man forsake his ways, his actions. And let the unrighteous man forsake his thoughts, his thinking. Jesus knew that if he did not develop, cultivate righteousness in his thinking, if he allowed unrighteousness in his thinking, it would lead to wickedness in his ways. And so he said, I'm going to cultivate righteousness in my thinking so that it will lead to righteousness in my ways. If I focus my mind on the word of God and don't allow it to wonder, if I take every thought captive to the obedience of me, Jesus Christ, (laughs) he knew that at the moment the devil came to tempt him he wouldn't be capable of wickedness because he's been practicing righteousness in his thinking and so now the 40 days are up and it says and the devil came to tempt him in Luke chapter 4 now when the devil came to tempt him the first thing the devil said was in verse 3 if you are the son of God Command these stones to become bread. Command these stones to become bread. Translation, the Father isn't providing you with nothing. The Father knows you need bread, and he's not giving it to you. Look at you. You're in starvation, and the Father still hasn't fed you. You've been waiting for 40 days for bread, and you still haven't got it from the Father. When are you going to wake up and realize that it's not just going to fall into your lap? The Father's not just going to do it for you. If you're going to, want, if you're going to get some bread, you're going to have to make it yourself. Do it with your own power. Do it with your own strength. That's the temptation. Turn these stones to bread. Don't you know that you've been waiting for, for 27 years for God to give you a husband, and he still hasn't given you one? You just need to go find you any fool that's willing to to say I do and marry him. Yeah, I know he's not a believer, but I waited for God to give me a believer, and he didn't give me one, so I'm marrying this fool. Turn these stones to bread. Do it with your own power. Do it with your own way. And in speaking this word to Jesus, he was trying to convince Jesus that he had been abandoned by the Father, that he was bereft, that he was all alone, that he was neglected by the Father. He was trying to start to pull Jesus' heartstrings so that Jesus would have a little pity party. Where is God? How come he's not answering my prayer? I'm so hungry. I'm sorry. Father! And Jesus saw it coming. Yeah. So he was ready for it. He said, uh-uh, devil. Mm-mm. That's right. It is written. Yeah. It's written. See, I'll tell you why I'm ready for this temptation. Because I've been meditating on Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 2 and following. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years. Remember. He led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble you and to test you. Glory. In order to see what was in your heart whether or not you would obey his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger. Oh, you're not just hungry. God caused you to hunger. He put you in the place where he knew you weren't going to get what you thought you needed to get. He caused you to hunger and then fed you with manna, which neither you nor your fathers had known. Why? To teach you that man does not live by bread alone, 
but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Jesus said, uh-uh, devil, it is written, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. You know what Jesus was saying to Satan? You're trying to tell me I'm empty? Uh-uh, I'm full. I'm not empty, I'm full. I'm not abandoned by the Father. I'm not forsaken by the Father. He's been feeding me his word this whole 40 days. I told you, Pastor Daniels called me one time. He said, Benjamin, what are you doing? I said, I'm fasting. He said, you know the problem I have with you and fasting? I said, what's that? He said, you don't know what it is. And you don't know how to do it. He said, because you think it's a hard thing. You think it's a bad thing. You think it's a season of emptiness, but I think it's a season of fullness. He said, I'm fasting too, but I'm just as nourished as I've ever been. Because I've learned how to allow my physical body to be nourished by the word of God while I'm fasting. You're fasting and all you feel is hungry. I fast and all I feel is full. Jesus says, you're not going to convince me that I'm empty. I've been living on the words that proceed from the mouth of God. Satan said, "Uh uh-oh, okay, i got to try this again. So he takes him up to a high mountain. Come on, come with me. Takes him up to a high mountain. Shows him all the kingdoms of the world. You're going to love this one. Shows, look at this, Jesus. Look at all the kingdoms of the world. All the kingdoms of the world. He says, if you bow down and worship me, I'll give you all this. All this can be yours for one low cost. Just one installment of worship, that's all. One moment, just one act of worship, you can have all this. Does that sound as silly to you as it sounds to me? I mean, that's like, that's like Pastor Vern taking me to my house after the service. PB, I got something to show you. Come with me. Drives me up to my house. Walk up to the door. I'm like, you got something to show me? We're at my house. Yeah, let me see your key. And I hand him the key. He opens the door. Come on in. Look at this, Pastor. Look at all this. Look at all this. See these bedrooms? Isn't this a nice house? Look at this. Look at this. You give me $500? I'll give you all this. All this, it can be yours. Just one installment of $500. I'll give you a discount, $499.99. I take PayPal. I would look at him like he's crazy. Be like, I don't need to buy this from you. Okay, $250. I'm not paying a penny for something I already own. Jesus must have looked at Satan like, are you, are you for real? I said, let there be light, and there was light, and you're going to give this to me. Are you for real? You know Satan is always trying to sell you what you already own. Satan is constantly trying to sell you your stuff. Eve, Eve, you know this fruit God told you not to eat? Just eat this fruit, and you'll be like God. And Eve went, great idea. I would love to be like God. What? You forgot that five minutes ago he created, like two chapters ago, he created you in his own image and in his own likeness. You're already like God. Satan sold her a piece of fruit. This will make you like God. Yeah. She should have said, you're going to make me like God? God made me like him. I've been like him since he made me. You can't make me like God. Satan's always holding out the forbidden fruit to you. Do this and you'll have joy. Joy? In his presence is fullness of joy. At his right hand there are pleasures forevermore. I'll satisfy your desires. Satisfy my desires. He is my desire. I delight myself in the Lord, and he gives me the desires of my heart. Always trying to sell you your own stuff. And we're just pulling out our wallets? Really? Do you take credit, devil? I've only got my debit card. I got a good deal. I got a deal. Man, I bought me some delight today from the devil. That was the easy one. Jesus said, devil, Deuteronomy 6.13, worship the Lord your God, him only shalt thou serve. It is written, devil. 
This is a stupid temptation. I, can't just, I wish I could be Jesus. Devil, that was the dumbest temptation I've ever heard before in my life. That was retarded. You know, go back to the drawing board and learn how to tempt people. <laughs> but watch this. Devil is, the devil's not as dumb as he looks. Because he adapts his game. See, if you're, if you're an athlete, let's say you're a basketball player, and you're playing against an opponent, you learn how to adapt your game to disrupt the strengths of your opponent. So if you're, if you're playing an opponent and he always burns you to the right, you start setting up on his right side. Let's see if you've got a left hand. You might beat me, but you ain't beating me to the right again. And you start, so Satan sees that Jesus is beating him to the right. It is written. It is written. Two for two. It is written. Satan says, I'm going to get in the way of that. It is written. Matter of fact, I'm going to fight fire with fire. You got an it is written, I got an it is written too. Has the devil ever quoted scripture to you? Do you know the devil knows the Bible better than you do? Satan says, come on, Jesus, I got one more. Takes him up to the temple. Tell you what, <clears throat> I want you to jump. Satan, you done lost your mind. Why would I jump? Because it is written. Psalm 9111, for he will give his angels charge over you. They will keep you in all of your ways. They will bear you up in their hands, lest you dash your foot against the stone. So go ahead and jump. You got a promise. Jump. Let's see if it's really true. Let's see if it's really true. Because honestly, I don't think it's true. I don't think the father really catch you, but you got a promise. So prove to me that the father is with you. And Jesus says, it is written, away from me, Satan, for it is written, thou shalt not put the Lord your God to the test. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 16. He had been meditating on Moses' teaching about what happened at the waters of Meribah, where the people of Israel said, is the Lord among us or not? The, what did the people of Israel say? Lord, if you're with me, give us, give us water. If you're with us, give us water. Prove to me that you're with. How many believers do I hear saying that all the time? God, if you really love me, give me this. If God really loved me, he would give me this. If he was really with me, he wouldn't let this happen to me. If, if, if the moment you say if, you're putting the Lord to the test. Man, if my four-year-old daughter came to me and said, Daddy, if you really love me, you'd give me ice cream. I said, baby, I'm about to show you the full extent of my love. I'm going to give you a time out. I'm about to wash your feet. I remember when I was a little kid, I said a cuss word one time. I never said another one. My mother heard me say it. Hallelujah. She said, I'm going to cleanse you of that. I'm going to wash you of that. And she took me into the bathroom to got the bar of soap and washed my mouth clean. And I see there's certain parenting tactics that I would not reproduce in my own home, but they sure work. <laughs> I'll tell you what, I got healed of that way of talking real quick. <laughs> Jesus overcame every temptation. How did he overcome every temptation? By the word of God. And when I say by the word of God, I'm not talking about by the prophetic word of God. Some word you got at an altar. See, a lot of people go to church and they think, oh, let the preacher call me out. Oh, let the preacher call me out. Oh, let the preacher, I hope the preacher gives me a word. And you know what? That's fine. That's good. I'm not saying stop doing that. I love the prophetic word. It is so powerful. It is important. Prophetic words that are spoken over you, you need to steward those words. You need to cling to those words. When my spiritual father prophesies over me, I record it and I put it on my, I have, a, I have my special website that I just upload prophetic words that, that are mine, that, that have been spoken to me. So that I listen to them and I steward them and I cultivate an awareness of them and then I pray them through. I pray them to fruition. If we did that, that'd be a powerful thing. But let me tell you something. You know what's more important than the prophetic word? The written word. I need to hear from God. I need to hear from God. You got 66 books of words from the Lord. And it's leather bound and you got about four or five different translations of it. And you got it in every room of your house. 
Right. You know, my wife and I are unpacking. We found all kind of Bibles in boxes. I forgot about this Bible. We, we forget about Bibles we have. You got more Bibles than you can even remember you got. And talk about, I need a word from God. We have to learn how to value the words of God at another level. Amen. The written word is the foundation of the prophetic word. If you don't know the written word, you can't even judge the prophetic word when you get it. And that's why you get tricked by these prophetic fools on the street that you don't even know who say ridiculous stuff. They just winos. Right. You know, drug addicts on the street. Oh, the Lord wants you to do this. And I hear people changing their whole lives around because of something that somebody said to them on the street that they don't even know. So, no, I believe it was the Lord. That's not how the Lord works. God is a God of order, not of disorder. You don't, you don't, you don't change your life around the word of some derelict on the street that you never met before. You get grounded in the word of God so that when the prophetic word comes, it complements the, pro- the word of God, the written word that you've hidden in your heart. Are you hearing me? And so Jesus did this through meditating on scripture day and night. And by meditating on scripture, he was able to live out of the ethic of the spirit. The ethic of the spirit is the ability to live right before God even outside of the manifestation of his presence. Even when you don't feel anything, you can walk in the spirit. And so Paul says, walk in the spirit in Galatians 5, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Walk in the spirit. We can think righteous thoughts, and we can work righteous ways, but it starts when we give our attention to the word of God. I need a minstrel on the keyboard right now. There's my minstrel. Come on, minstrel. I love that word, minstrel. (laughs) Oh, praise the Lord. You know, as we're bringing this message to a close, I want to share one more thing with you. My wife and I just moved into our new house. Praise the Lord. Amen. We're living in Castro Valley. It's a beautiful house. Alethea loves it. We set up Alethea's room, and first day, she ran into the room, and she laid down on the bed. She climbed under the covers. She looked at me. She said, Daddy, I'm sleeping here tonight. Because, see, for two months, we were staying at my brother-in-law's house, and they were, they were so wonderful and hospitable to us and loving. And, man, it was so hard to go because we built so much community with them and felt so much love from them and for them and played with baby Alexander every day to have a new baby and and, uh, but in our room, we only had a, a full-size bed, a double bed, a double bed, not even a queen, a double bed. And uh, Alethea, for that whole two months, had to sleep in the bed with us. <laughs> and so my wife and I took turns sleeping on the couch in the, in the family room for two, two months. And uh, we moved into our new house, and Alethea said, I'm sleeping in here tonight. I said, blessed be the name of the Lord. (laughs) Not to mention, we got a California king-size bed in our room. So, come on, somebody. So, even when when Alethea comes in the middle of the night and climbs into bed with us, we got plenty of room. Come on in. Come on in. Just no crying. It's not allowed up in here. But what I experienced... And I've experienced this every time we've moved. My wife and I have a different unpacking ethic. See, my wife's unpacking ethic is this. Unpack everything and set up everything the day you move in. She ain't got no patience. But see, I I got a gift of long-suffering. To me, it's a process. To her, it's an event. You know? And so it it has to happen in a day for her. I say, no, 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 baby. That's unbiblical. Because the Bible says his anger is but for a moment, but his favor is for a lifetime. If it's only supposed to be a moment, we're supposed to do it now, it's in the category of his anger. I want to take the unpacking process and bring it into his favor. Just extend it. My wife is like, no, no, I can't live like that. I can't live, I can't live with my stuff in boxes. 
I can't live with my stuff in boxes. Because, see, when your stuff is in boxes, you own it. It's still yours, but you have no access to it. And matter of fact, you forget that you had it. See, all of our stuff was in storage for two months, and when we started unpacking boxes, I forgot about that. Hey, I forgot about that. I forgot I had that. Man, this is nice. I forgot the, I forgot some suits I had. I forgot some pants I had. I forgot about some shoes I had. I forgot all kind of stuff. And as we're unpacking these boxes, we're being reacquainted with stuff that's always been ours. We just didn't have access to. So I came home the other night. I'd been up all night the night before with Alethea because she was sick. And I went to the office, and I worked all day, and I came home at 7. And my wife said, get up here and help me finish unpacking. I said, I just walked in the door. Let me use the toilet. Let me get some dinner. Let me change clothes. Let me take a shower. Go get me a big piece of chicken, something. She said, I can't live like this. I got to get unpacked. So I swallowed hard and I went up there and I did the best I could. I didn't do good. I'm going to tell you the truth. I didn't do good. I'm not going to say I was a good husband. No, I wasn't a good husband. I did the best I could. But we finished with the grace of God and a lot of work from Sonny Robinson. And if you come over our house now, it's all unpacked. All of our stuff, except my office. But everything outside of my office is done. Yeah, my office is in a state of favor. Long suffering. You know, a lot of believers live like that. The Holy Spirit came into your heart in the fullness of who he is. But you haven't unpacked him yet. You got this box. And you know, when we packed our boxes, we wrote on the box. What is this? Some of the boxes, I was just fooling around. I just wrote assorted foolishness. <laughs> you know? It's just foolishness. You know? If you were to look at the boxes that the Holy Spirit brought in your life, there'd be a box that says holiness. Have you opened that box up yet? It's already in you. I mean, you can't have the Holy Spirit and not have holiness. There's another box that says power. Have you opened that box yet? There's a box that says ecstasy. There's a box that says ethics. There's a box that says energy. All of these things that we're speaking about, we're not speaking about things that you haven't received. We're speaking about things that you have received. Maybe you just don't know you got it. Because it's been in the box so long. When I opened up that storage container, I said, can I just pour out some gasoline and light a match? Start over. I mean, we lived without this stuff for two months. We can live without it. Some of you here say, you know, I lived without feeling the presence of God for the last 10 days, 10 years. I've learned to live without it. No, God wants you to open that box. I lived with these unrighteous thoughts for the last 20 years. And I found that the Lord still accepts me. Yes, he does accept you. But he still wants you to open that box. If you've come to faith in Jesus Christ and you believe in him with all of your heart, if you trust him for your salvation, you are saved. And that means that you have received the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One member of the Trinity does not come and leave the others behind. Jesus doesn't come in and say, Aha, Holy Spirit, he didn't invite you yet. And secondly, you didn't receive half of the Spirit or part of the Spirit. You received all of the Spirit. No person can manifest in percentages. I couldn't just send my head and my arm to preach here today. Leave the rest of my body at home. And the Holy Spirit can't come in you in part. You've received the fullness of, the whole, of who the Holy Spirit is. But now you need to receive the fullness of what the Holy Spirit brings. And what does he bring? He brings these powerful encounters, what we call the ecstasy of the Spirit. He brings this ability to think righteous thoughts and to, act, and to do righteous ways. It's called the ethics of the Spirit. And he brings the power, the energy of the Spirit that is released through you in powerful ways 
It's time to open those boxes and say, Holy Spirit, begin to release the fullness of what you put on the inside of me. I want all of it. I don't want this stuff to remain in boxes. I want to unpack. Holy Spirit, I want you to be fully at home in me. I don't... I'm tired of walking around. This stuff is all boxed up, and I don't have access to it. I want access to the stuff that you've given me. I want you to bring it out of my heart. I want you to release it in me. I want I want to live it. I'm so thankful to unpack my couch. I could sit on my couch. Couldn't sit on it while it was in storage. I might say, I don't have any place of rest. Yes, I do. I just had to unpack it. It's in you. Father, just begin to bring out that treasure right now. Give us the wisdom to unpack. Give us the wisdom to unpack. Come on, just begin to pray right now. Just begin to unpack right now. Unpack right now. It's in you. It's in you. I don't care what you've been involved in. Some of us some of us here today have been involved in all kind of sin this week. I don't care. If you believe Jesus for your salvation, holiness is in you. Unpack it. Unpack it. Some of you feel defeated by the devil. Victory is in you. Unpack it unpack it joy is in you unpack it encouragement is in you unpack it unpack it bring it out father just bring out that treasure right now bring out that treasure hallelujah thank you for it god thank you for it god thank you for the treasure thank you for the treasure but we have this treasure in vessels of clay so that the excellency of the power is of God and not of us. We are hard-pressed on every side but not crushed. We are struck down but not destroyed. We are persecuted but not abandoned, always bearing in our body the dying of Jesus so that the life of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory while we look not to the things that are seen but to the things things that are unseen for the things that are seen are temporary but the things that are unseen are eternal god bring out the treasure oh god bring out the treasure oh god unpack it oh god teach us how to unpack hallelujah 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 come on just thank him thank him for the treasure 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 thank him for what he brings thank him for what he brings thank him that he's coming to your life come on stand up on your feet and just begin to rejoice Stand up on your feet and just begin to thank him. Lift up your hands and open up your mouth and just begin to praise him. Just begin to praise the Lord. Thank you, Lord. Worship you, Lord. Glorify your name. Glorify your name. Glorify your name. Come on, come on, come on. Bring out the treasure of worship. Unpack that box that says extravagant worship. Unpack it. Extravagant worship is in you. You just got to unpack it. Thank you, Lord. Glorify your name, oh God. Glorify your name, oh God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory to the name of the Lord. Glory to the name of the Lord. Look at me for a second. I want everybody, actually, just for a moment, close your eyes. Put your hands down just for a moment. I just sense there's somebody here today that needs to receive Jesus. You've been like a sheep that's gone astray, but now you need to return to the shepherd and overseer of your soul. He is the lover of your soul. He loves you with an everlasting love, and you just can't run from him anymore. And he said that I stand at the door and knock, and if you would hear my voice and open the door, I'll come in and eat with you and you with me. You know what? He'll come in, and he'll bring all of these boxes. Yes, you're going to spend the rest of your life unpacking them, but he'll bring everything. He'll bring everything you need. The moment he comes into your life, he'll bring it. Nobody's looking around. I just want to ask if that's you. You say, I'm ready. I'm ready to receive Jesus. I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. I want you to lift your hand right where you are. I want you to lift your hand. I see that hand. Somebody else. You say, I'm ready to receive Jesus. I see that hand right there. Yes. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for that young lady who lifted her hand. What a powerful moment. What a powerful moment. What a powerful. I've been praying for you. I've been praying for you. God has had his hand on you. I've seen him working on your life and working in your life. Now you're going to see him come in, and he's going to unpack all of the stuff, all of the stuff that he's created you for. He loves you with an everlasting love. He's been watching you and waiting for this moment, and now he's coming in. Now he's coming in. Anybody else? Anybody else? Yes, Father, I pray for these that lifted their hand. In the name of Jesus, I want everybody just repeat this prayer after me. Say, Father, I come to you. 
in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, forgive me of my sin. Wash me clean. Come into my heart. Holy Spirit, I receive you. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, I receive you. Reveal yourself to me. Make yourself known. Teach me how to unpack all the good things that you're bringing into me. Teach me how to live them out fully. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, everybody shout now. Come on, give God some glory. Hallelujah. You know what? Do you know that the Bible says that every angel in heaven rejoices over one sinner that repents? When one person turns their life over to Jesus, every angel in heaven rejoices. I'm telling you, in heaven right now, they're dancing like it's 1999. My prayer is that we would learn how to rejoice as much on earth as they do in heaven. I want to see us get so excited about salvation that the angels go, wow, we got to step our game up. No, because I know there's a party up here, but there's a party down there. Hallelujah. Are you excited today? I'm so excited today. I'm Because I'm telling you God is doing this thing. I'm telling you we are seeing... We are seeing the offshore breezes of revival. We, I see, I hear the sound of an abundance of rain. I'm telling you that the offshore breezes of revival are beginning to blow in the city of Emeryville, and there will be a revival in the land. Hallelujah. We are going to have a move of the Holy Spirit. We are going to have ourselves a revival. You might as well jump in. You might as well jump in. You might as well jump in. You might as well make a decision. I'm jumping in that river. It's not going to pass me by. Hallelujah. Mm. Lift your hands to the Lord. I invoke the name of him who brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, that great shepherd of the sheep. I invoke his name over you today. May he work in you that which is good. May he perfect all with that which concerns you. And may he bring to pass his good purpose over your life. And I speak over you his promise that he will never leave you nor forsake you. Even until the end of the age, he is with you always. And I bless you today with the power to walk in the spirit that you might not fulfill the desires of the sinful nature and with the will to meditate on the words of God, to meditate on Scripture day and night and to hide His Word in your heart that you might not sin against Him. I speak every form of blessing over you today in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Come on, give God a shout of praise.